this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. We trust that you will enjoy today's message and that it will encourage you to grow deeper in your relationship with Christ our Savior. Okay, and then I'm going to ask uh, my friend Kubis to come forward and uh, we're going to, we're just going to um, share a bit. Just want to um, read you a quick passage from, from, from Scripture from the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 8, we have a, a short little account of a lady called Mary Magdalene. Uh, it's uh, Luke 8, sorry. Luke 8 verse, from verse 1 to 3. It says, Soon afterward he went on, uh, that's Jesus, went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had, been, had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Will you hold this, please? <laughs> and um, what, what's interesting to me from, from, from that passage, a, a few things, um, but, but one of the things is, is who Mary Magdalene was. If, if you go and look at church history, uh, according to church history and church tradition, Mary Magdalene was a, a prostitute, um, which maybe explains why she had seven demons. <laughs> but um, so, you know, she, she, you know, if you think about someone who has, um, you know, you know, Think about the, the cases in, in the Bible where demons were actually cast out of people. I mean, were people like the demoniac of Gadara who was cutting himself with stones, who was talking to himself and screaming and living, you know, half naked, you know, amongst the tombs. You know, a, a disturbed person. You know, and, you know, you look at, at Mary Magdalene where she is now and you look where she was. And, and it's just a radical change that, that apparently Jesus brought about in her life. You know, but if, if, you, if you think about it, um, if, if the church tradition that she that she was a prostitute, the Lady of the Night, is correct, then then she has a, a really um, she ha- she probably had a really bad reputation. I mean, as she was probably walking around with Jesus in the Judean countryside, you know, or in Jerusalem amongst the Romans, I'm sure a number of the Roman soldiers recognized her. You know, maybe some of her. You know, previous customers, you know. And um, what's amazing to me is not just what Jesus did for her and how Jesus changed her life, but that Jesus was not ashamed to be associated with her. Isn't that amazing? Here's this lady that is a prostitute, that was a prostitute, that was, that was, a, that, that was demonized, that, that, that was probably quite mentally disturbed and um, really had a bad reputation, probably a social outcast probably frowned upon by society in general and Jesus is not afraid to be associated with her in fact he allows her to minister to him to travel with him and to be part of his party that ministered I mean in those days you know um, it was more difficult to be a bachelor than today I mean today you can go to Willie's or you can go to the shops and you can buy pretty much ready-made food in those days you didn't even get flour you know you had to go and pick the corn and you had to grind it yourself you know, it was kind of more difficult to make food, you know. 
the, the whole thing of, of a handy bachelor, a bachelor that was handy in the kitchen that could cook for himself, didn't really exist in those days. If you, if, if you were a guy, you needed a, a lady or two to take care of you. <laughs> so Jesus and his disciples needed some, some ladies in their lives to take care of them because, they, I mean, to make food in those days really wasn't art. You, know? you, you needed serious skills you know, to, make, to make proper food. And um, she was one of the ladies that, that actually you know, cooked for them, took care of them, you know, supplied their needs from, from their means. And, and, and when you think about it, just that last phrase when it says, you know, supported him from their means. You know, what was Mary Magdalene's means? If she used, the money that she used to support Jesus, where did she get it? <laughs> if she was a prostitute, you know, that's where she got it. You could make a lot of money, apparently, in those days as a prostitute. And Jesus, not only was he not ashamed to be associated with her, but he was not ashamed to allow her, this woman with a really bad reputation, a social outcast, you know, someone that was really frowned upon by everyone and, uh, and, and, and despised by everyone, to actually, from her ill-gained means, to minister to him, to be part of his ministry. Can you see the radical grace that Jesus exercised? I mean, in most churches probably today, you know, if a, by, by the sort of outside chance a prostitute, you know, a lady of the night did actually get saved and, and you know, turn, turn her life around, I don't think anyone, I think most churches, most people wouldn't allow her near anything even remotely to do with ministry. And here comes Jesus, and just like this, he allows her into his inner circle to minister not only with him, but to him. Can you see the radical grace of Jesus? I mean, we've been talking recently about every member is a minister. I mean, what better example? And, and, and the point is, you don't, there's not a whole list of qualifications that you have to, you know, boxes that you have to tick before you can minister with Jesus and for Jesus and even to Jesus. All that Jesus wants is that, you know, he has really changed your life. And then your past doesn't matter anymore. How long you've been a Christian doesn't matter anymore. There's radical grace. And um, just by the way, if you go and read, just go, go to um, Luke uh, 24, verse, verse 8 to 10. Just quickly read that for us, please, Quibus. Luke 24, verse 8 to 10. Cool. And they remembered his words... And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. Interesting thing is Mary Magdalene was not only the first person or one of the first at the empty tomb, but she was the first one to see the resurrected Jesus alive. And, and the first eyewitness to report that Jesus had risen from the grave. This Mary Magdalene, out of whom seven demons was caused. This Mary Magdalene was uh, apparently a lady of the night. And God chose her as the very first eyewitness to the resurrection. And in those days, I mean, you know, the society in general, the Roman society, and even to some extent the Jewish society, was quite um, prejudiced towards women in general. Um, you know, most Jews would wake up in the morning and there's a well-known and controversial Jewish prayer that they would pray. They would say, Lord, thank you that I'm not uh, a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. <laughs> Just to give you an idea, you know. 
sort of the mindset. There was a guy called Salsus uh, in the second century, I think, second or third century, who was a, a Roman and, and one of the first and most vocal um, public opponents of Christianity. And one of his big accusations against Christianity was based on Mary Magdalene, the fact that she was the first eyewitness. And, and, he, and he said, you know, we all know how irrational and, and um, emotional women can be in his, in his writings now, this, this Roman guy called Celsius. Celsius. Um, you know, and, and who can believe you know, the eyewitness testimony of a woman? You know? and, and in those days, it was typical that in court, you, know, you, you needed at least two women to match the eyewitness testimony of a man. That's the kind of prejudice that was just normal in the day. You know? Um, you know, but, but that just shows you, I mean, if these stories about the resurrection were made up, no one in that time would have invented a woman as the first eyewitness. So everyone agrees that the, the best and most plausible explanation of the fact that Mary Magdalene was the first eyewitness is that she really was the first eyewitness. This was not made up, you know. But the fact is that this woman with a shady past God chooses her as the first eyewitness. Jesus chooses to appear to her first. She became one of his most devoted disciples, sitting at his feet and learning from him. That is grace. That is grace. I feel privileged. I get to hear first <laughs> before all of you. But yeah, I think um, I think a lot of us can actually associate with uh, that story, just with with God's incredible, incredible grace and. Um, I think it's cool that we have a scriptural precedent of, of God using a, a prostitute or former prostitute. Um, I had the privilege of, of hearing of something similar actually happening just the other day. Um, I went to a trip uh, to India recently, uh, which the backstory is quite interesting. I think we'll, we'll get to that. But um, the best way I can describe this team was a klump failona. <laughs> That's like like the most interesting group of people I've ever seen. Um, we put together on the trip, and I only heard that I was going a week and a half beforehand. But um, and I think everyone had sort of similar stories. Now, now one of the guys on the team um, was a, a guy who's only been a Christian for a, a year and six months, and he's been in jail twice, um, heavy, heavy drug background. Um, but he loves Jesus, and he's got absolutely no cultural sensitivity. He went and did some interesting things in India, but God used him powerfully. And another guy was saved only for six months. He's been born again for six months. This rugby jock. And God used him just as powerfully. But one of the guys on the team um, runs the Shofar Urban Church down in Cape Town. And he was just telling us the story of how the other day, when um, it's a group of homeless people that they've just um, started having services for and how with the challenges God is using them. And uh, there was a prostitute who came forward and she surrendered her life to Christ. And as they were still in front ministering, um, this is this is when she had responded to the altar to the altar call. So they, they preached the gospel, yeah. and uh, she came to the front and surrendered her life. <laughs> and they were still praying in front. A guy with a withered hand came up, and the Lord told Conrad, who's pastoring the church there, that he must ask this lady to pray for this guy for healing. And she did that, and God healed the guy. And his <laughs> um, and his hand was perfectly restored. <laughs> and, I just thought it's incredible how God just chose to pour out His grace through this lady. 
I mean, she's been a Christian for five minutes. And then you think, God, I've got my whole list of why I can't go on missions or why I can't do anything, you know. I should first get a degree in theology. And uh, it's interesting that people in India still think they need a PhD in theology before they can legitimately minister. Um, But it was just such a cool example of exactly that, how God chose this lady from a similar background. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I just want to emphasize the point that, you know, so often we, we have all these standards, you know, when I achieve this standard, you know, when I accomplish this, or when I've done this for the Lord, or when I've sorted this out in my life, you know, then God can use me. And, and God does not respect any of those standards. I mean, the, the standards that we set for ourselves is nonsense in any case because we, I mean if, if you really wanted to set the standards the standards would be too high for any of us to reach the only way we can reach God's standards of being part of his family being accepted by him and being used by him is grace and grace alone it's only grace you know in this story about this this uh, lady of the night you know just while she's responding just after she's responding to the altar call praying for someone with a withered hand and God using her to heal that man I mean, that to me epitomizes the grace of the Lord. Why do we always want to wait to be used by the Lord? Why do we always want to think that we have to be perfect and everything sorted out? I mean, we think, okay, I must be sinless. You know, you know I've still got too much sin in my... You're going to battle with sin for the rest of your life. I, I'm sorry to break that to you. I mean, hopefully progressively it will become better and you'll progressively experience more and more victory over sin. But you'll never be perfect this side of the grave. So if you want to wait until you're perfect, you're going to wait a very long time. And if God can use a prostitute five minutes after she you know, committed, responded to the gospel and gave her life to the Lord, then, then certainly it can use any of us any time. No matter how qualified or unqualified we feel we are. So can you just go to, to Luke um, 23 verse 39 to, to 43? Let's quickly read that to us as well. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. You know, what shocks me of that passage is the, just the, the suddenness with which Jesus forgives this guy and accepts him. I mean, here is a, a, a criminal, you know, a robber, crucified next to Jesus. And he's a self-confessed, guilty criminal. I mean, he admits, he says to, to the other guy, you know, mocking Jesus and so on. He says to this guy, we're guilty. We know we're guilty. We know we deserve this crucifixion. So he knows something about himself. He knows he's guilty. And he knows something about Jesus. He knows Jesus is righteous and innocent. So, so here hangs this guy, you know, and, and he's, he's clearly, he's a criminal. He's a criminal background. He's, 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 he's under condemnation. He's hanging there naked on the cross. And all he says to Jesus is, Lord, remember me. When you come into your kingdom. And immediately. Without any questions. I mean it's not like Jesus interviews him. To see if he's sincere. Or if he meets all the standards. So immediately Jesus just says to him. Just like that. I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Doesn't the suddenness of Jesus' forgiveness. Just shock you. (laughs) Yeah but what strikes me from the scripture. Is that, um, that he had to be honest with himself. 
the guy he had to know that he had nothing to contribute and that he was deserving yeah. of, of punishment yeah. and it was almost as if God was like boom I can, I can work with that he has grace and I accept yeah, yeah. it but it's almost as if you've got pride and if you think I'm okay then God says I can't I actually that's the one place where I have to resist you but I can give grace to, to the humble yeah. and that's what strikes me about the hard attitude of this mm. guy on the other side of Jesus yeah no, one of the things I'm most afraid of is um, becoming proud. Because, you know, pride is like bad breath. The person, the person who has it is always the last to know about it. <laughs> right? You know, and pride is such an insidious thing. You know, and it's something that, you know, prevents you from being thankful to the Lord because you feel you deserve what you're getting and you actually feel you deserve better. It prevents you from worshipping the Lord because you think too highly of yourself. It prevents you from, from receiving anything from the Lord because God resists the proud. And it, re- it prevents you from worshipping the Lord. And that's why humility is such a precious thing. God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. It's, to me, that's an incredible sort of space to be because God says He's always there and He's always got grace, but that's the one place where He resists us is when we are proud and the definition that I have for pride is that I think of myself in another way that God thinks um, either too high or or too low in a different way you know sort of as a doormat and um, but that's incredible to me because if you think about every member being a minister or you being able to serve or have any contribution in the kingdom of God it is and will only ever be by grace I've got no contribution in of myself that I can give that can change any person's life. Nothing. There's nothing that you can give that can make a heart change. Because, I mean, to see a withered hand healed, that's pretty incredible. And we've, we've heard stories in India of this one pastor. He, um, he was in a bus, a bus accident and he got killed. And they threw his body in with all the other bodies. And after three days, he woke up. <laughs> <laughs> and they opened the door and uh, you know with where all the bodies were and he got out and he was alive and God resurrected him and now he's busy preaching the gospel and I mean you hear these things it's incredible but still I think when a heart, someone's heart changes from a sinner mm. and they realize like this guy that I'm a sinner and I need God mm. I need grace I need mercy mm. that is the biggest miracle mm. we will ever see in our lives and that, I mean, because we've experienced it. I've experienced it quite recently, actually. Just uh, that knowledge that I need Jesus. And you think, God, that's actually the biggest miracle. Especially for some of us working in quite, uh, um, you know, places where people... Jock was telling me the other day, he's working on a project where it was sort of a, an accomplishment for everyone to say, I'm an atheist. I've evolved to a place where I don't need religion. I don't need God. A lot of us work in places like that. So it's a miracle when someone's heart changes. And, um, and, and I think that sets us up for a place where we can actually minister because we know that for a fact that I did nothing to deserve salvation. It's by the grace of God. Um, I've received grace, and so I can just give what I've received. And so that also, I think, takes away some of these requirements, artificial requirements and rules that we try and put in. You know, I first need to just deal with all the sin or make sure I'm okay or, you know, before, before God can use me. Uh, I just want, of uh, course, to read one last passage for us in uh, Acts chapter 9 from verse 17 to 22. Acts chapter 9. And it's a well-known story of um, 
Saul of Tarsus. Now this is just after his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. He'd already gone into Damascus. He'd been there for, I think, three days, you know, fasting and, 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 and all that kind of stuff. And God sent his reluctant servant Ananias to go and speak to, to Saul, who later became Paul the Apostle. So just um, Acts 9, verse 17 to 22. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased um, all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Yeah. And what's, what's amazing to me of this account is if you consider who Saul was. Saul according to his own admission in some of his other letters that he wrote, you know, as, as Paul the Apostle, was a violent man, a blasphemer, um, you know, a persecutor of the church. He didn't have any grace, you know, whether you were a man or a woman or a, or a child, whatever you were, you were grabbed by him and, you know, at best thrown in prison and at worst stoned and killed. This was the kind of man that he was a murderer. And here God chooses to take this murdering, violent blasphemer and to take him and turn his life around and immediately send him into the synagogues to go and preach. To go and preach the gospel. And once again we see that, that same principle of just the, the suddenness of God's radical grace. And how, you know, by grace he just changes someone's life and immediately starts using them. Um, and Kubis, you were telling me that, that you had a, a similar experience uh, the first time you, you uh, sort of um, after a long time had a, a quiet time again. Maybe you can just share a bit of background and, and share that story with us. Cool. <laughs> yes, yeah, so um, I recently started a, a new job, but it uh, was in a time of um, a lot of, lot of change and, and challenges in my life. And the Lord called me out of... Uh, a relationship with a dude and out of homosexuality and um, it was such a such a a very very tough time but I really had an encounter with Jesus sitting on his throne I remember the night God said okay done Um, I saw Jesus sitting on his throne and he just said I'm in this and um, so from from that point onwards it feels very quiet now all of a sudden (laughs) Um, (laughs) praise God but from from that night onwards um I've just been having these experiences where, um, where God was just showing me his eyes. And um, I got back to, to um, Rustenburg where I was on a project. And um, I've made very good friends with, with one of my, my colleagues there. And we just hit it off um, immediately. And, um, and she wasn't a Christian. She was uh, actually a staunch atheist. Uh, hated God with everything in her. And, uh, but we became good friends. And uh, she knew everything about my life. And I just started sharing her with uh, what, what God was um, 
doing in my life. And so we became good friends. And I started, I remember we, we went back, and the Tuesday morning was the first time I had quiet time again in ages. Um, I spent time with the Lord, and the Lord showed her face to me. And he said, okay, you must pray for her. And we live about half an hour away from the mine where we were consulting. And um, we got in the car, and the Lord told me, okay, so you must tell her now that you prayed for her. And that I just know that I know where she is today, and you guys know sort of in a professional environment it's quite tricky these things, but I didn't care. Um, so I just shared with her that listen, um, I know this might sound weird, but I just felt the Lord say that I must pray for you today, and um, and that He knows exactly where you are today. And this girl, very tough, um, she just burst out into tears. And, uh, and she told me about something very, very hectic that happened with her exactly on that day six years ago. And, um, and God is... And, and the, the very thing, actually, that, that um, really destroyed her uh, a, a faith and a trust in men and in God as, as a father, it, you know, it, it was, you know, that, that the very root of, of the issue that caused her to hate God and to be an atheist. God, on the very day anniversary of the date happened god used quibus to to just speak into that and say i know about this and and i was i was just astounded at god's faithfulness and um it that that episode opened the door f- for our friendship to to deepen uh, quite a bit and uh, i didn't tell you this but we smoked a cigarette in the pool that night <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, we we got to to, to really share um, just um, and, and her question was me with, with how Kubis, how do you how did you get to a place where you could trust God um, again and um, and I could just share from my absolute dependency on the Lord and the fact that He is the one who saves and fast forward um, by the end of that week we were working super super long hours you know the Lord He always likes. <laughs> He puts you in challenging situations. So he told me by the end of that week, again, like, okay, cool, so here's a word for her. Share it again. And I thought, okay, cool, God. And uh, the rest of our team had gone, and I shared with her. And um, again, she started crying. And she said, I never cry. I don't know why I'm crying. But uh, I got to, to, to pray for her, actually. And we got out of the car, and she told me that, um, I just want to say, anytime you feel God says anything, you can share. And um, you can pray Coming for Coming from me. an atheist, right? Yeah, atheist. And uh, she's not of the huggy type, but she gave me a, quite a tight one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the Lord was just faithful. And, and I remember, actually, um, now God is awesome. She subsequently surrendered her life to Christ. And uh, I remembered even telling um, Blake the night before that, Yo, this girl, slow cook, not microwave. In 10 years, she's going to serve the Lord. And the very next morning at church, in, she, she texted me the morning and said, I, I was going to go to gym, but do you mind if I come to church with you? I was like, no, please come. Um, and she surrendered her life to the Lord. And God is um, so faithful. But I, I remember actually even after that, that was the first time I, I, I spent time with the Lord. And just thinking, God, how does it work that you can use? I like what's on this mic. It says broken. Like just broken, useless sometimes person. And uh, I was actually still, I had so much hurt in my heart, even driving away from praying with her that Friday. Like sort of this bittersweet experience. Like, God, you're so awesome. But... I'm experiencing so much brokenness, and I was um, driving around this uh, stop st- sign, and there was a guy standing um, at the stop street, and he was asking for a lift. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, um, "Cool, but 
invite this guy in. And um, he was a security guy who worked at the company we were consulting. And uh, we got in, and I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, cool, but now I'll share with him the testimony. <laughs> and, I, and I shared just with him what, like all the raw, gory details. This guy's just sitting there like, what the flip? <laughs> but I shared with him um, God's faithfulness. Because I just had such a revelation of Jesus' salvation. And I shared with him, and this guy, and I asked him, but are you a Christian? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? And he said, no. Uh, he hasn't. He's actually been to church for the first time the other day, and, and he heard the gospel for the first time. But he, he didn't want to go surrender his life because he, d- he, he felt like he's not strong enough to give up smoking before he serves Jesus. And um, it was so cool. I could just share with him about God's grace and the fact that God has a process of setting us free. And um, the Lord gave me a word of knowledge for him, and we stopped sort of where he had to get out. And uh, that day, his name was Tapelo. He surrendered his life to Jesus as well. And I just thought, like, God, you're giving me these crazy opportunities. And he, was, he had this massive smile, and he was going to go tell people about Jesus. But just really God's grace. And I just have this revelation of, of salvation um, that I'd love to share with you guys. But, but I have this picture of when you in the sea in Durban, and um, you, there's this big wave comes, and you right there at the back, and um, the wave comes, and it sort of pushes you under. Then there's a lifeguard on this, the beach. You can get up and sort of check whether you're fine. And, um, but, if you, uh, but if you're back there and you're strong enough to sort of pull yourself out and start swimming out again to the beach, the lifeguard can just go sit again, right? But when you back then, the wave pulls you under and you've got no option and you're not strong enough to pull yourself out and you're busy drowning, then the lifeguard can be who he has trained to be and he can be what he is, a rescuer. And he can jump into the ocean and he can save you. And um, I, th- I have a very similar experience of Christ. is that when you don't have any other options, when you cannot save yourself, that Jesus is the Savior. Mm-hmm. That is his name. He's yeah. the anointed Savior. Yeah. And that we saved by grace. Mm. I've, I feel really like at this point in time that God has appointed us for salvation. Mm. And um, yes, you've got a responsibility to say, yes, Lord, but if he's, if he's a savior and you've got no other option mm. and he saves you, then, then how can I hold back in any regard or say, Lord, this is the first time I have quiet time and I'm actually so broken on the inside and I don't know whether I'm coming or going, but mm. you're the savior. Um, yeah, it's amazing when we... So when we get to the end of ourselves, that we get to the beginning of God. So when we get to the end of ourselves, like we were just saying, that's when we get to the beginning of God. Like that criminal hanging on the cross. Um, you know, one of my favorite sayings is by, by Jonathan Edwards. He said, the only thing we contribute to our salvation is the sin that made it necessary. Um, <laughs> and, <clears throat> I mean, just think about this. I mean, Paul was a murderer. A persecutor of the church and immediately like this God saves him and immediately uses him to preach the gospel Kubis came out of a, a homosexual relationship and he'd, he'd been uh, in it for a while and, 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 and he'd repented and, and, and he just started con- connecting with God the first time he had a quiet time and God speaks to him and gives him a prophetic word that changes a colleague of his life and eventually you know, leads to a you know, from, from being an atheist to, to being a Christian and loving the Lord. Can you see God's grace? Can you see how radical God's grace is? Can you see how amazing God's grace is? That is, that is the God that we serve. 
you know, and and all of us are like Mary Magdalene. We come from a shameful past. You know, whether people know about it or not. All of us are like the criminal hanging on the cross. We're guilty as charged. All of us are like Paul, Saul who became Paul, you know. We don't deserve God's grace. And yet he gives it to us. I think that's absolutely amazing. I just want to read you in, in, in closing one last scripture. It's in Galatians 1 verse 23 and 24. It says, uh, talking about the churches uh, in, in Judea, <clears throat> it says, They only heard the report, the man, that's Paul, who formerly persecuted us, is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they praised God because of me. When that, when we receive that amazing grace, that radical grace of God that changes us like this, it leads to other people worshiping God. Just like you sitting there now listening to the stories that, that, that Kubus was telling and thinking, wow, God is amazing. You know, praise God. You know, that the grace of God leads to the glory of God. The grace of God leads to the glory of God. Father God, we just want to thank you, Lord, for who you are. I just want to thank you, Lord, for your grace, your amazing grace, your radical grace, Lord. Lord, and, and we want to thank you, Lord, that we can experience it, just like Mary Magdalene, just like the criminal on the cross, just like Saul of Tarsus who became Paul. Thank you that you can turn our lives around. Thank you that you have turned our lives around, that you are turning our lives around. And thank you, Lord, that we don't first have to qualify and check a bunch of boxes before we can be used by you. Thank you that we can just come as we are, like the prostitute who prayed for the man with the withered hand. Thank you that you use us, not because of our goodness, but that you use us in spite of our shortcomings and our brokenness and our sins. You are such a good God, and we worship you. In Jesus' name.